You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's one of those days where you're seeing that the left is crazy, but also very powerful. I know that might be a lot of days lately, but today definitely with the blocking of certain news stories, the uh, suspension or, or when they say suspension, they really mean the banning, the ultimate banning of a conservative group, uh, Project Veritas, from Twitter because they exposed that CNN is a propaganda organization. It is effectively an organ of the Democrat Party. Uh, and all these things are happening. And it's so clear how egregiously dishonest this stuff is. But the left's attitude, this is why I keep saying hypocrisy doesn't matter to them. The left's attitude is, yeah, we can do this now. We can get away with it. That's the point. They're not even hiding it. And that's something I want you to remember as we see all the debates play out now, whether it's in D.C. or across the country about some of these issues. Their attitude is, it's our time in your face. What are you going to do about it? That's how the socialist left approaches things in America now. And social media, as I mentioned, is one of the areas where this is clearly happening a lot. When you've got Veritas, Project Veritas getting permanently suspended. What for? Embarrassing friends of the left, Democrats. And then you have a BLM founder who, yeah, is spending millions of dollars on properties for herself uh, based off of donations for the cause, for the struggle, whatever. And then and then Facebook says, well, you can't list that she owns you know, these houses. Really? Because they do that to celebrities all the time. Friends, they're trying to stack the deck for their side and to crush the voices of truth on the right that are speaking about all this stuff. And that's going on all the time. It's happening to me. It's happening to you. Big tech is absolutely tracking and suppressing what you're doing. This is why I want you to get a virtual private network. A virtual private network is something I've got operating on all my devices right now. It is a program that protects you from spying by hiding your IP address, and it also encrypts your data. This is just a necessary security measure. It's like having a, you know, a lock on your front door and a burglar alarm, right? This is what you need to have to protect your stuff online. And the best one in the business is ExpressVPN. With ExpressVPN, you anonymize a lot of your online presence by hiding your IP address, which makes it more difficult for big tech to track and trace and sell all your stuff to advertisers. And it's so easy. You just download the app to your phone, and then you're good to go. You'll have it set up once you create an account within minutes. And right now, if you go to my link, expressvpn.com slash buck, you'll get three extra months free when you sign up for a year. That's expressvpn.com slash buck. This is a must for your phone, for your devices. Expressvpn.com slash buck. The Electoral College, the Supreme Court, statehood for D.C., the filibuster. How many things will the Democrats decide need to be fundamentally transformed by the Biden presidency as soon as possible? Right. How, how many areas uh, fundamental areas of our of our government and and the foundation of so much of our system will come under uh, assault? by these leftists before we realize, oh, you mean that they're the ones that think that institutions need to be undermined? I, I thought, you know, what you've really seen here, friends, is that for four years they told you that Trump was a fascist who was destroying our government. 
Now we see who the real fascists who want to destroy our government are. Now we see who's not willing to play by the rules, who wants to change them as quickly as they can. It's not us. And, and if you're wondering, well, what, what's an example of this, Buck? Here's little Jerry Nadler. You know, he's got his pants pulled up to his eyeballs. And here he is telling everybody that, oh, no, they're not going to pack the Supreme Court. Play six. <laughs> Some people will say we're packing the court. We're not packing it. We're unpacking it. <laughs> we're not packing it. We're unpacking it. I mean, just just lie to everybody. Just lie to everybody. The Supreme Court has had nine justices for over 150 years. But because they don't like who's on the court, the definition of court packing changes because they don't like the possible decisions here. Uh, they they're willing to just completely upend the system, change the system. And uh, now here we are with the uh, Democrats saying that the, the Electoral College, the Electoral College is, is next. Uh, it, it's amazing, folks. These Democrats are such a disgrace. And, you know, it's amazing that we have to sit here and pretend that we don't see exactly what we're seeing. You know, they're, they're advancing. They're advancing this to a place where they're going to just have to have the media openly forego any pretense of objectivity. You know, as I've told you, there's a, a war on observation that's happening right now. There's a war on seeing what's actually going on around you. And if you stand firm, if you say, hold on, I know what's happening. I know who's actually trying to transform the government. I, I know who won't play by established rules and norms and doesn't adhere to any principle. I see what they're doing. You do that. You're the enemy. You're a problem. And they will deal with you accordingly. And the first the first level of that, the first line of offense from them is to just lie to your face. I mean, think about this. Jerry Nadler is really saying that they're unpacking the court. Court packing refers to adding judges so you get your way. That's what it is. Court packing is not adding judges because I don't like what's I'm sorry. Unpacking is not adding judges because I don't like what they're getting. That's not how this works. But here's Pelosi on how we should consider expanding the Supreme Court. Play 10. You support Jerry Nadler's bill to expand the Supreme Court by four seats. And would you commit to bringing that bill to the floor? No. I, I support the president's commission to study such a proposal. Uh, but um, frankly, I'm not right now. We're back. We, our, our members, our committees are working. We're building the infrastructure putting together the infrastructure bill and the rest. I don't know that that's a good idea or a bad idea. I think it's a, an idea that should be considered. And I think the president's taken the right approach uh, to, um, to have a commission to study such a thing. It's a big step. It's not out of the question. It has been done before. Hey, I think it's a good idea. Maybe we should consider it. Yeah. Okay, Nancy. We all we all know what's going on here. She's not sure of the politics of this yet, but she knows the base likes to hear it. So they say, let's go for it. Here's Hank Johnson, member of Congress, who's saying, I mean, the number needs to be at least at least 13 play 14. The real outlier is the fact that the court hasn't changed while the rest of the federal government has grown, keeping pace 
with the growth of the nation. Many of the earlier changes in the number of justices were made specifically in response to national growth. In 1807, for example, a Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals was added when Kentucky, Tennessee, and Ohio were added to the Union, and a new justice was added to the Supreme Court, bringing, bringing the total number of justices to seven. But this natural expansion stopped after the Civil War, leaving us today with the historical oddity of 13 Circuit Courts of Appeal and only nine justices. I believe it's time to go back to this tradition and have at least 13 justices. At least. And this has nothing to do with the fact that Trump just appointed three judges to the Supreme Court in his one term. Nothing to do with that. No, this is about history and precedent and standards. I mean, folks, this is amazing, isn't it? Democrats will believe anything that helps them. They'll believe anything that's in their interest to believe. They'll convince themselves of anything. It doesn't matter. And you're seeing that right now. It's just remarkable. It's like we're all supposed to be so stupid that we can't see exactly what's going on. Now, maybe they don't get some of this through. Maybe it doesn't end up happening, but it does show you what their mindset is. It does show you what their mentality is through all of this, which is just the raw exercise of power is what matters. Whatever lies they have to tell about all of this are inherently justified. Whatever just completely cockamamie description of events they have to unveil before the American people, completely acceptable. The Electoral College, the filibuster, the Supreme Court, they told us that Trump was undermining our sacred institutions with a straight face for four years. What exactly did Trump do that transformed an institution of government. Think of one thing I, I would ask you. I'd, I'd challenge anyone out there. Think of one thing. Oh, it's really hard because it didn't happen. And yet the media was all united in this. And what, I, what we're seeing here is the Democrat Party's absolutism, which comes from the rise of the socialist mentality. And this is why there's also all this pushing of these ideological just catastrophes but they don't they don't view it that way green new deal and all and, and green new deal the permanent uh health tyranny of the fauciites you're seeing this now they really do want to control everything about your life they don't like freedom we have an anti-freedom party in this country now and it is the democrat party they do not like individual choices we know the only choice that they view as sacred is the one to abort a baby that's it no other choice Everything else is up to the state's whim. Everything else is up to what the government bureaucrats tell you. Yesterday, I was uh, in the gym on the treadmill trying to deal with the COVID-15 a little bit. And sure enough, I'm sitting there and, you know, I I'm wearing a mask. I'm sweating through the mask. Can you say why? Because I have to. Otherwise, they come in and say you have to leave. And, and I'm on private property, so I have no choice. And I sit there and I say to myself, how much dumber are we all supposed to get? I'm immune to COVID-19 and the chance of me being on a treadmill, feeling perfectly healthy after immunity. But even if I wasn't immune, passing the virus to somebody, there's one other person in the gym. There's like 50 feet away from me. The whole thing is so dumb, but you have to accept their stupidity. Don't you see their arguments suck? And because their arguments suck, what do they do? They force you to obey. They don't convince you. You must comply. 
This is the new Democrat mentality to use the state, to use government power to insist that you go along with their idiotic ideas, their destructive, anti-freedom, banning of common sense ideas all over the place. This is what we're dealing with now in this Democrat Party. And we all need to understand that they're showing us who they are all the time with the comments they're making about transforming and therefore undermining longstanding institutions of government that are supposed to be checks and balances ultimately on political power. They reject all of that. They are also bitter about having to suffer through four years of Trump. Oh, it was so horrible. The four years of Trump. Yeah. A booming economy and peace sounds terrible to me. Oh, COVID. Yeah. Trump was responsible for COVID. That's the kind of lie that they managed to get away with because the media is on their back pocket. It's disgusting, isn't it? But we're happy warriors, friends. We stay in this fight no matter how insane, no matter how much the other side lies. We continue to hold the line because this is still a country worth fighting for. Even if Jerry Nadler wants to tell us that we can't understand the plain meaning of language. As a result, we have a stilted, illegitimate 6-3 conservative majority on the court that has caused this crisis of confidence in our country. The Republicans stole two seats on the Supreme Court, and now it is up to us to repair that damage. Our democracy is in jeopardy today because the Supreme Court's standing is sorely damaged. Listen to all that propaganda from Senator Markey. Our standing is damaged, Senator Markey says. Listen to this guy. I mean, what, first of all, what a, what a jerk from up in Massachusetts. But all the stuff that he says, it's just such flimsy, intellectually worthless, dishonest crapola. But he's saying it anyway. Illegitimate? Why is it illegitimate that the Supreme Court is 6-3? What exactly? How did Trump steal seats? Trump wasn't even president when Merrick Garland didn't get his vote. What's the big deal? What are they even talking about? Oh, that's right. They know that right now, if they try to just, if they try to run for it, you know, if they try to make a break for it and do the most extreme things the Democrat Party really wants to do. And I want I want to remind you all of that right now. There are things that Democrats won't do that they're talking about right now, and it's because they either fear the backlash or they're afraid they couldn't actually get it done if they tried. But it's not because they don't want that outcome. It's not because the Democrats wouldn't prefer that situation. So that's where this is. It's just a question of what they can get away with. They're not holding themselves back. There is no part of the Biden administration Democrat mindset that says, oh, yes, that would that would expand our power. And but we don't we don't want to do that because we realize that's not fair play. That doesn't exist. There is no fair play to this Democrat Party. They do not care at all. It's just can we get away with this? Can we get it done? That's a different calculation. They, unlike Republicans, unfortunately, never hold themselves back because they respect the system or because they think there's something higher than there's a goal that's higher than their own aspirations for power and control. 
which is why someone like Senator Markey can go up there. I mean, do you think of all the stupid things he says. No one stole anything. It didn't belong to President Obama, the Merrick Garland seat. There is no system that's set up that the Supreme Court's ideological balance that the Democrats had gotten used to for a while is the way that it has to be. We're always told the Supreme Court's not even supposed to be ideological, folks. So on the one hand, Democrats, they used to say that, oh, it's not political. Now that it's not political in their favor, it's, oh, it's not allowed to be political. Or we have to pack it. We all know we're adults here. We know the Supreme Court has turned into a a politicized institution. There's no question about that. There's no no serious argument to be had about it. I mean, I wish it wasn't uh, wasn't so. But activists, you had decades of activists, lib judges on the Supreme Court who decided they would just give progressives what they want. It wasn't about interpreting what's in the Constitution. It wasn't about the actual meaning of laws and statutes. It's, yeah, but we like this thing, and we think the people should have it, so we're going to pretend that it says, give this to them in the Constitution. The super legislature of nine judges in black robes. Sorry, not going to be that easy right now. But I love this. It's illegitimate. They're stealing. We're, we're, we're fixing what's broken here. How many lies can somebody fit into one stupid soundbite? I mean, Senator Markey was trying really hard, really hard there. And uh, there, there are others as well who, who go to pretty extreme lengths to try to explain to everybody why their nonsensical, absurd ideas uh, are somehow what the country should accept here. Oh, and if you're just wondering... Back in the day, here's a whole bunch of Democrats talking about court packing when it didn't favor them politically. Play two. I would not get into court packing. We, we had three justices. Next time around, we lose control. They had three justices. We began to lose any credibility for the court has at all. There are some people on the Democratic side who would like to increase the number of judges. I think that was a bad idea when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to pack the court. Took an act of courage on the part of his own party institutionally to stand up against this power grab. It raises problems that are more damaging than the problems that exist. And and so I think that is not uh, the ultimate solution. So I am not at all. In favor. But where does Let it us, stop? I mean, so we go yeah, from yeah. 9 to 15, right. and then the next right. no, it's takes over in 15 no, to 27. And I think that we better be very, very careful in saying that uh, we need to expand the Supreme Court. I think we better be very, very careful. You had Harry Reid, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Bernie Sanders, uh, Joe Biden himself, and all these different people weighing in. And it's not like they're, you know, uncertain they're like no this is a, this is a dumb idea this is bad this is very cuz there's no way the only way this makes sense and this is what i want you to want you to remember the only way this makes sense as a strategy even for the power mad democrats is if they think there'll never be an opportunity for republicans to then pack the court with their judges because they won't ever be in the majority they won't have the presidency and i think some of them believe that and I think some of them, a lot of them actually, think that that's what they can achieve if they go for the jugular right now. That they got to go for it right now. They know this. They've only got, it's really between now and the end of the year. 
Because once they get into the midterms, the machinery of the elections takes over. But that's why, you know, you, you, you don't know here. You really don't know how this is going to go. I mean, here's uh, Congressman uh, McCarthy. Play 15. My heart goes out for all. What you find from the Democrats, they don't want to just defund the police. They want to remove all police officers. That's the new cry. But now we're finding what you just played here. They want to dismantle the Supreme Court because they're trying to dissolve the American way. Think about it. Three co-equal branches. They have two branches right now. The only thing that holds them back from their socialist views going forward that are unconstitutional, like a D.C. statehood, is a Supreme Court that would stand up for the American people. So they want to pack the court to protect their power. It's all about one thing, control. And do not trust Nancy Pelosi when she says she will not move it. Remember, that's what she said about impeachment before she moved impeachment twice. We've watched her time and time again to come to what the socialists actually asked for. She surrendered to the socialists many times before, and she will do it again. He's right, folks. Uh-oh, it's time for Dr. Fauci, the lab coat tyrant, to get a little comeuppance. You know, because he's saying the mitigation efforts, we might have hit a plateau and the diminution of the parabolic upsurge of the data tells us all that, I mean, this guy's the worst, as you know. And, and he's starting to, starting to feel the heat because people who are paying attention or honest are realizing this guy's a little jerk and he's a clown and he's wrong and he's bad at this job and he's done a lot of damage to people in ways large and small. And this, this pretense that, you know, it reminds me. It reminds me of uh, you know my my dad told me that there were, when I was growing up there was a place, um, there was a place where you could go to do fishing and it was like a fishing and hunting preserve. It was a private fishing and hunting preserve you could go to, and and he was a member. And there was a guy there who used to sign everything. He owned the place. He was the owner, but he would sign everything the committee, <laughs> which was such a a great way to because then you can't get mad. I mean, when they say everybody has to. You know, everyone has to go to bed by 10 o'clock or something who's staying there. Or, you know, no one's allowed to go go fishing on Saturday because the committee says so. How do you argue with the committee? Who's even on that? Oh, I don't know. It's the committee. Well, it's actually just this one guy. That's what Fauci is for national health policy and the economy and basic freedoms and liberty. It's, oh, it's not me. It's, you know, the data. I look at the data. And, you know, I'm a scientist and I all this stuff that he does, right? The, the usual song and dance when really we all know that Fauci walks into a room with Robert or Rochelle Walensky and, and a few other, you know, CDC people or whatever. And he just goes, all right, this is what I think I'm going to go say now about what you, about your, your data. And he just goes on TV. He says whatever he wants. This, this isn't some. That's why I call it the Fauci consensus. The whole notion of it being a consensus is a fraud. The whole idea that this is the only answer, the only way to go with this stuff is a lie. And he has been the front man, the pitch man, the person behind that the whole time. Jim Jordan, you know, you, ne- you never want to mess with a wrestler. I'll, I'll tell you, you don't you certainly don't want to you don't want to wrestle or fight a wrestler, but they're a tenacious bunch, you know, because not only are, are they just used to. Uh, that that sort of physical exertion through pain, but they'll do the running in the trash bag thing to drop weight. I'm just 
wrestlers. I've known some. My college roommate uh, was a wrestler. I've known some. They're an intense bunch. All right. Anybody you know, you know what I'm talking about. You never want a guy. You never want to get into a scrap with a guy with, you know, cauliflowered ears. I'm just telling you, it's a rule. And whether it's verbal or otherwise. And Jim Jordan, you know, he's a state champion wrestler. And anyway, he's uh, getting into it with Fauci and he pretty much puts Fauci in a half Nelson here. You know, maybe even a full Nelson. I know that's actually illegal under collegiate wrestling rules. Uh, but he puts he puts him in the half Nelson because here's here's what, what we see when, when Fauci's talking about this. He pretends to be stupid. He plays dumb on things like, oh, I'm not you know, it's not a liberty thing. And I, I'm not I'm just here to save your lives. I, I don't even know about this other stuff about the economy or ruining people's livelihoods. I don't even know about it. I'm I'm just a public health expert, sir. Play three. Well, in your written statement, you say now is not the time to pull back on masking, physical distancing and avoiding congregate settings. When is the time? When do Americans get their freedom back? Can you put your microphone on, please? When we get the level of infection in this country low enough that it is not a really high. Threat. What is low enough? Give me a number. What I mean, we, we had 15 days to slow the spread, turned into one year of lost liberty. What metrics, what measures, what has to happen before yeah. Americans... Get their freedoms. My message, uh, Congressman Jordan, is to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as we possibly can to get the level of infection in this country low, that it is no longer a threat. That is when. And I believe when that happens, you will see what determines when. What determines when is the question Fauci doesn't want to answer. Because here is, and, and I, I really want you to remember that I'm saying this to you. I really want you to remember this. Eventually, we are going to get to a place, eventually, and I don't know when it is, because I think they're fighting this in every way they can, but there will come a time when we reach the point where they say, okay, we're going to have now some more substantial uh, lessening of these restrictions, but there will still be COVID out there. And there might even still be, there will still be, I believe, people being hospitalized and dying from COVID. And that will be the an admission because all along what they've said is people are dying, shut up. This is about saving lives. If it saves just one life, if there's a one in a million chance that you double masking in your car by yourself might stop somebody from getting the virus because, you know, maybe you go to a drive-thru and you're, you're spittle, you know, whatever, some crazy idea. If there's a one in a million chance, it's a good idea. Whatever discomfort and absurdity you have to go through, that has been their logic. That has been their argument to shut you down, to shut you up. But at some point, they're going to have to say, you know what, I actually, yeah, okay, so we're going to get rid of some of this stuff. And you'll say, hold on a second, but people are still dying. And people are still people are still getting this virus. So what you really meant all along was that there's a trade off to be made here and that this is about a balance between public health and individual freedom. And when the lockdown left wanted absolute power, they just pretended there was no trade off. All we care about is maximizing even in ways that are absurd protection from the spread of this virus that there was no balancing there there will eventually see they'll concede that there's a subjective 
and even somewhat arbitrary component of this. And this is what's so important about this exchange with Jim Jordan, because he's forcing Fauci into a corner. He keeps saying, you know, when the caseload gets low, when it gets to a low enough level, the number is going to be at a place where we're going to see a concomitant uh, lessening of the, you know, the the, the data and the, the metabolic increase from the whatever, right? All the nonsense that he always says, the pseudoscientific crap this guy spews. Ultimately, what we want to know is, okay, when do we get this to stop? When can I walk in to a store in New York City without a mask on and not have everybody look at me like I'm Jack the Ripper? When can that happen? What when do states hear from the CDC that the the guidance tells them that it, enough is enough? People can actually just live their lives because it's not just getting vaccinated, folks, as we know. And God bless Ted Cruz for being a person who is vaccinated and is walking around the Capitol without a mask on. All this mask wearing theater that people were doing was exactly that. The people who have been vaccinated, people who have had the virus, there is zero real reason for them to wear a mask. Fauci's vaccinated. He double masks. What kind of bull crap is that? He's vaccinated. We've already talked about this. The numbers, the chance of somebody getting infected with COVID if they've been vaccinated is is point zero zero eight. The chance of them having a serious enough infection, this is the other part of it, to pass to somebody else because they're going to have a lesson. Their body has some antibodies, you see. It's going to be a weak viral load they carry. The chance of them, even if they have a minor infection, giving it to somebody else is going to be even smaller than that. We all can see this. But Fauci's what a double mask. I got a double mask. Jim Jordan stays in the fight, man. Like I said... It's going for a double leg takedown here. Play four. I'm sorry. What? What measure? What, what, I mean, are, are we just going to continue this forever? Or when does when does no. when do we get to the point? What measure? What standard? What objective uh, outcome do we have to reach before before Americans get their liberty and freedoms back? You know, I, you're indicating liberty and freedom. I look at it as a public health measure to prevent people from dying and going to the hospital. You don't think Americans' liberties have been threatened the last year, Dr. Fauci? They've been assaulted. Their liberties have. I don't look at this as a liberty thing, Congressman Jordan. Well, that's obvious. As a public health thing. But, but uh, the, I disagree with you, you on that. You think the Constitution complete. is suspended during, a, during a, a, a virus, during a pandemic? It's certainly not. This will end for sure when we get the level of infection very low. It is now at such a high level there's a threat again of major surges. Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, over the last year, Americans' First Amendment rights have been completely attacked. Your right to go to church, your right to assemble, your right to petition your government, freedom of the press, freedom of speech have all been assaulted. I mean, for a year now, Americans haven't been able to go to church. Even today, when they go to church, they're limited in the size of, of, of worshipers who can meet. Your right to assemble? Oh, my goodness. Fauci is a totalitarian tyrant. Okay, he is. That's what Dr. Fauci has become. He's he's admitting as much here. I don't view it as a liberty issue. Yeah, no, 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 duh. I'd like to say something else, but we're on radio. No, duh. No, no surprise there. 
no willingness whatsoever over the last year to make a realistic adjudication between individual liberties and freedoms and the threat of this virus. And also, let's be honest here, no, no reasonableness when looking at the efficacy of these measures which have failed. They have failed. All right, what you've had are so many people, so many, you know, MSNBC watchers. They're, they're turning on, you know, Morning Joe or Matt Owl or whatever. They go, yeah, I'm double masking. I'm doing my part. No, what they really did is, you know, they're 25-year-olds who are sitting at home in Brooklyn thinking that they're heroes because they're saving, they're saving people from COVID, but they're forcing essential workers and seniors to be at greater risk because they stay, the, the, the young and the healthy stay home, not understanding that actually looking at who's at risk and who's not would have been the smartest Focus protection would have been the smartest way to handle this. But this this turned into a personal branding, virtue signaling extravaganza so quickly, didn't it? Because that's the the emotional center of people with left wing politics is what is this? It's not what is true. It's how does this make me feel and how does this make me look to others? Don't ever forget, not only is duplicity and hypocrisy, not only duplicity and hypocrisy, central to the Democrat ethos. Vanity is so very, very important to them. So I just want to know, when do Americans get their First Amendment liberties back? You know, I don't think anything was censured because they felt they couldn't disagree with me. I think you're you're making this a personal thing, and it isn't. It's not a personal thing. No, you are. That is exactly what you're doing. No, your recommendations carry a lot of weight, Dr. Fauci. We just had the the chair of the Financial Services Committee said she loves you, and you're the greatest thing in the world. My recommendations are consistent. Will the gentleman yield? No, it's my, it's my now, time. Can I answer the question, please? My recommendations are not a personal recommendation. It's based on the CDC guidance, which is which is And which I'm asking the question, what measures have to be attained before yeah. Americans get their First Amendment liberties back? I just told you that. I no, you haven't you. given anything specific. You said we hope when this thir- tell me specific. Right now, right now, we have about 60,000 infections a day, which is a very large risk for a surge. We're not talking about liberties. We're talking about a pandemic that has killed 560,000 Americans. I, I, and I That's get that, what we're doc- talking about. No, we actually are talking about liberties, you little fascist. And we're talking about the fact that the pandemic playbook that existed for decades before 2020 always knew that lockdowns and masks would be ineffective, not worth it. And that's why that was not at the beginning of this pandemic, even from Dr. Fauci's own mouth. That was not the plan. But the plan changed because it was about more than the virus, so much more. It was about control. It was about defeating Trump. It was about the transformation of America under the guise of protecting your health. Meanwhile, we've had over 100 million infections in this country easily, maybe 150 million, maybe more than that. Based on an actual extrapolation of the 30 million confirmed cases, we've had way more than that. Everyone knows at least three to four, maybe five, maybe more times that number. So what exactly did these health measures, the measures get us? Just act, just extra pain 
frustration, division. It didn't do anything. When I talk about the measures, I'm not saying individuals choosing, you do whatever you want. You want to stay home. You want to wash your hands. You want to wear a mask. I'm talking about government mandates. You must do this or else, says the government, because it's for your health. What, when the, what about when the government's wrong? Notice how Fauci, and they have been wrong, as you know, many times, uh, about this specific issue. Notice how Fauci also says, it's not my opinion, it's the science and the CDC guidance. Well, there are a lot of morons who work at the CDC. You've probably figured that out right now. And that's not even true. Fauci goes on TV night after night spouting off nonsense. And there have been First Amendment uh, issues. They have decided that it was, at different points, too risky for people to protest lockdowns. You remember that? That happened in this country. You're not allowed to protest outside against the lockdown. No gatherings allowed. That is explicitly, clearly a First Amendment violation, and it was tyrannical when they did it, and it was disgusting. And then, of course, they abandoned that idea the moment that BLM wanted to go out and loot and riot and destroy. But Fauci, what a slime ball! So much destruction, so much misery and ruination. All because what? If we hadn't listened to him, we would have we would have had 250 million infections. We really believe that. Everybody would have got infected if we hadn't listened to Fauci. Where's the ratio of success here? I just want to know. And and yet people look at this guy like he's some kind of a hero. Uh, Dr. Fauci is the most destructive, anti-freedom. Um, he's the he is the bureaucrat. He is the American uh, American bureaucratic official who has had the worst impact on the country and I would argue on the world in my lifetime and maybe ever. Two shootings in the last 24 hours getting a lot of attention in the news. I just want to say as I talk to you about this that there's more and more facts coming in about them, uh, updates all the time. So some of you may know more than even I do about this by the time you hear this, depending on, on when you listen. But let's start first with uh, this terrible shooting in, uh, in Indianapolis uh, where you had at a FedEx facility near the Indianapolis airport, eight people killed and the shooter took his own life. Uh, apparently there was no confrontation with anyone. There was no disturbance. There was no argument. And the, the truth is it's surprising because they haven't identified who this is at this point, which seems strange. And they also haven't identified any any motive whatsoever. And now this could just be, it could be workplace violence, could be any number of things. But I will say that we've lost so much faith in the press that, that I think anybody who reads a story like this and, and there seems to be a delay, whether there is or not, and, and I don't know, but if it just seems like there's a delay in the release of certain details, then the political machinery starts to move in your mind. You say, hold on a second. If this were a guy, if this were a white male in a MAGA hat, so to speak, right? Or if this were a white male Trump supporter based on his social media profile, would we already know about it? Would ABC and CBS and NBC and all the rest of them, would they already have told us 
every possible detail about the shooter so that then the the entire apparatus of the of the leftist socialist commentariat all over TV can then start talking about how the real threat is, you know, white supremacy. The real threat is Trump supporters. I mean, just to give you a sense of the kind of things that are said here, here's MSNBC's Joy Reid uh, from earlier in this week talking about, I mean, comparing Trump and, and Osama bin Laden. I mean, she's doing this on purpose, folks. Play 25. Yeah, you know, Jay Johnson, you would know better than I, because you know President Obama better than I do, um, far better. Um, you know, he did run on this idea that, you know, of his opposition to Iraq wars, what sort of made him sort of rise in, in politics, and the idea that Afghanistan could go on forever. We can't stay anywhere forever, especially when we've got home security threats in terms of violent white nationalism that's threatening our capital, when we've got our own former president inciting people into violence and pushing them more into this violent white extremism, much the way bin Laden, you know, did sort of inspiring people to be this way yeah trump pushed people to violent white extremism the way that bin laden pushed people on al-qaeda i mean this is somebody who has a show on msnbc he's paid a lot of money to be a moron on television that's pretty remarkable when you think about it and by the way everyone over at msnbc says stupid stuff all the time i mean rachel maddow um, among the the more cognitively capable anchors over there. She ran with the Russia collusion fraud for years. I mean, if you ever watched, I, I watched her monologue some night just out of curiosity, and it was just fantasy land make-believe stuff about the Kremlin and this person and this oligarch and that person. It was all, it was all bull. It was all crap. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. But you see, we, we now, if you, if you pay attention, you have to recognize that the media is constantly lying to you. They're constantly engaged in all kinds of, of fraud and misdirection. And so that means that whenever there's a delay after a mass shooting, you think, well, is this because they don't want everyone talking about the shooter and the motive? Whether it's true in this case or not, I have absolutely no idea, but I, I know everyone thinks about it, and that's a shame. If we had honest journalists in this country, which we overwhelmingly do not, things might be quite a bit different. But we do not have people who we can count on to just uh, present the facts and the truth. We have people running around calling themselves journalists who are really just prop the propaganda arm of the Democrat Party and of the left in general. I mean, of people who have are, are part of this ideology. I mean, it's, it's amazing when you think about now how if someone tells me that they're an MSNBC watcher, I can guess what. 95% of their political positions will be just based on that one thing on a whole range of issues. I know which politicians they like. I know what foreign policy issues they support. I know where they are on abortion, on guns, on immigration, on health care, on, you know, you name it, on masks, of course. I know all these things. It's really stunning to see what the left really has become and what they really mean. But I, I see this, this FedEx shooting, and I can't help but think back to how in the aftermath of the shooting in Atlanta at those um, massage parlors where it is believed there was, uh, you know, there was prostitution going on too, uh, this, this guy, this mass shooter, there was, it was a referendum on the whole right wing in the United States that this guy went on this mass shooting. That's the way that it was treated. 
And then you had the shooting in Boulder, Colorado, and there was an initial effort to continue on with the narrative, but there was so much less focus on it. And I know with the the James O'Keefe videos, it's come out that, you know, CNN only shows, only focuses on certain stories with certain kinds of attackers, certain kinds of, of bad guys, if you will, and they won't focus on other ones. It depends on who the assailant is. That's how much focus it gets. If it's if a white male in CNN world, if a white male does something evil, and there certainly are plenty of people from who are white males from all different races who do evil things. If a white male does something evil, it's a major news story right away, especially if, say, there's a white male who attacks Asians. But if a black male attacks Asian people or does something awful, it's a minor news item if it gets any attention at all. Certainly not worthy of a national conversation. Certainly not something that has to be reflected in endless panels on CNN and and other channels. No, no, no. We don't need to get into that. They'll even go so far as to say that it's white supremacy. And they've done this. There are articles written about this. It is white supremacy when a black person attacks an Asian person in America. It is an example of white supremacy. And I know you hear that and you say, come on, Buck, I'm telling you, that is the left-wing approved narrative. That it is because of white oppression that other races now can have incidents, that there can be people of other races where there's a violent incident between them. It's it's madness. It's madness. Okay, and then there's, so that's, I don't have a lot on the FedEx shooting other than we're all sitting here thinking, hmm, I wonder if the fact pattern were a little different if we would know more already because the police are being very tight-lipped about things. I mean, never forget, my friends, at the Pulse nightclub under the Obama administration, the Pulse nightclub shooting in Florida where you had a an Islamic, uh, an Islamic mass shooter, uh, an Islamist or jihadist mass shooter uh, who was saying, I do this in the name of ISIS, I do this in the name of Allah, and they cut it out of the, the FBI. Obama's FBI cut that out of the public transcript. Don't ever forget that they did that, that they won't actually present you with the truth, that they want to treat you like children who can't really make your own decisions because it's easier to control you. And then there is this shooting in Chicago. Um, Adam Toledo, uh, 13 years old, and here's here are the here are the facts as we know them from this incident. Okay, here's what we know about this. You have uh, an individual here, or you you have police were told that there was shots fired in a in a part of Chicago here, and they showed up. They arrested one guy who was 21 that they found. And then a 13-year-old named Adam Toledo ran away. This was 16, this was 16 days ago, okay? Um, but now you have the body cam footage has been released. 17 body cam videos from involved and responding officers, four third-party videos, uh, two audio recordings, six shot spotter recordings. And so there were shots fired, and Adam Toledo... Uh, you know, took off, took off running when the police arrived. And this is, this is the, unfortunately, this very high risk scenario where someone runs from police after shots fired with a firearm in his hand. I know he's only 13 years old, but a 13 year old can pull the trigger of a gun very easily. And 
he he's running and the police say stop it's all in the body camera and there's one shot that the police officer fires because when he goes to pull his hands up and he turns he moves quickly the officer the officer believes there's a threat he shoots he kills this young 13 year old boy you know that CBS News edited the video initially to show that he didn't actually that the, he didn't actually have a gun in his hands they actually did that and the gun was found at the scene the guy had a gun so now we're going to get into, well, if if a police officer is chasing somebody who has a gun and they have it in their hand and he turns quickly, does the officer have to wait till he hears the bang before he fires back? I mean, look, this is a tragic situation. Nobody, you know, no, nobody feels anything other than than awful about the fact that a 13 year old is dead here. The cop didn't want to shoot him. The the people that are watching this good faith, uh, America, people of good faith all across the country feel badly about the about what happened. But we also know that a 13 year old boy with a handgun is it can be a lethal threat to law enforcement. And, you know, it's firing off rounds and then running from police in a dark alley creates a risky situation. But the activists are going to are going to leap on this. I'm sure the city of Chicago is going to pay his family, you know, twenty million dollars. The whole thing, the whole machinery of anti-cop outrage will be underway here, and, and it already is. But notice how journos will lie about this. They will even doctor footage. They will change the evidence to fit their preferred narrative. Okay, Project Veritas suspended from Twitter, which means they're going to be off probably forever. And you're just going to see this more and more. Right now, I understand it can feel kind of hopeless, but we're going to start creating. There are just going to be alternatives created. Mike Lindell is creating a social media platform. Uh, others are, are stepping up, too. And we're going to get the infrastructure right. We're going to get actual infrastructure. We're going to get everything lined up here. It's going to take some time, but these social media companies will one day regret what they are doing. It will happen. And maybe three or four years, maybe even more out. But I'm telling you, now it's too obvious. Now it's too clear when they're suspending, for example, Project Veritas. But I wanted to to play a little bit for you because I mentioned this before on the show um, that, yeah, they've got this guy who I think he's on a date. And I'm going to say this, and people are going to yell at me, but, you know, I don't really like, I don't like using a date to get someone to trash their office and talk like if some, if I were single and the libs sent out, because unfortunately, you know, there are, there are attractive lib females as crazy as their politics are, you know, they exist. And, and if someone got someone to go on a date with me and got me to start talking about media and conservative media and was surreptitiously recording it. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't like, I don't like it as a tactic. I'm just going to say it, but anyway, it's, it's out. It's tactic. And, I know I know I appreciate O'Keefe's mission and what they're trying to do. And, you know, it's a tough call sometimes. I mean, you get Jeff Zucker. I mean, I don't care what you do to get Jeff Zucker talking about this stuff, but you get CNN technical director Charlie Chester. I mean, I've never heard of this guy before, but here he is just to give you a sense of the kind of stuff he's talking about. I was trying to do some research on like the Asian hate, like the, the, the people are getting attacked on a bunch of black men that have been attacking Asian. Um, so I'm like, what are you doing? Like, we're trying to like help like with the BLM and like, you're gonna like, 
I mean, it's individuals. It's not a people, you know? Um, that's not good. The optics of that are not good. These little things like that are enough to set back movements, you know? Because the, 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 uh, the far left will start to latch on and create a story of like um, criminalizing an entire people. Just easy, easier headlines that way, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. So you're saying that the the far left would label a whole genre of people? I, I kind of miss your point. Um, that like, uh, no, the conservatives. I'm sorry, not the far left. But uh, I've noticed that like. You'll get headlines that, you know, might. Um... Yeah, whatever. Anyway, point here is he's saying, oh, it's basically expressing his disappointment that when he looks into anti-Asian violence, he finds out that there's actually a lot of instances of black men attacking Asians in the last 90 days and, and well beyond that. So when you when you're trying to do stories, they, they want to attack Trump supporters for being anti-Asian. White male Trump supporters are anti-Asian. That's what they want to say. But when you actually look at the cases and the statistics, turns out that the greatest, uh, the most disproportionate percentage uh, by race of attacks on Asians, uh, Asian Americans comes from black Americans. And this guy's disappointed because he works at CNN and CNN's trying to push a narrative. And that's what they do. But because this information is out there on, uh, was out there on Twitter, they got rid of James O'Keefe's uh, Twitter account. They suspended him. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Here is O'Keefe's statement in response to this. I mean, they've permanently suspended him, so he's banned forever. He writes, quote, I am suing Twitter for defamation. Um, this is false, this is defamatory, and they will pay. Section 230 may have protected them before, but it will not protect them from me. The complaint will be filed Monday. A Twitter spokesperson confirmed O'Keefe has been permanently banned for violating the Twitter rules on platform manipulation and spam. A Twitter spokesperson pointed us to a section of the company's rules which state you can't mislead others on Twitter by operating fake accounts and you can't artificially amplify or disrupt conversations through the use of multiple accounts. And James is saying these are these are these are lies is what he's saying. He's saying these are lies and Twitter's lying. Uh, I will tell you right now that these social one of the great things is because I do radio and podcasting. They don't have a means. The podcast companies, Apple, Spotify, uh, they're super left wing. I mean, not all of them, but some of them are super left wing. And so they would crack down more if they could. But they they're not they're not going through speech uh, and and doing the same stuff that they can do algorithmically as they will on Twitter, say, with what you're writing. Um, but they do take action, I'm sure. I mean, Spotify's already gotten all mad at Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, who's a lib. I mean, he's a likable lib and he's open-minded, but he's a lib. And, or maybe he's a libertarian. That might be a more fair way of putting it. I, I think he's kind of politically heterodox, really. I know some of you probably listen to him a lot. I've, I've listened to a few of his. I, I, by the way, I think he does a good show. I like Joe Rogan's show. Um, but anyway, the, the point here is that I can speak to you on radio all across the country and be a lot more honest in some ways on radio than I can get away with on Twitter, where I can speak much more, you know, much more freely, a better word than uh, than I can on Twitter, because I'll get banned. I'll get nailed. 
So we're fortunate here, folks, that my voice is harder to suppress than my Twitter and my Facebook because they're doing that. And they went after O'Keefe. You know why? They're protecting their CNN buddies. It's really frustrating when there are all these people out there who say they're so progressive, they're such woke Marxists and all this stuff. And then you find out very quickly because a news story will break. Oh, but they get to be millionaires. You know, they get to live lives of, of extreme wealth and, and personal indulgence while talking about how everyone else is doing that bad rich people stuff. And oh, yeah, no, we're, we're going to get into that in a second. But I, I really want to make sure, especially as we're trying to communicate more openly as conservatives these days and and build a resistance to this authoritarian socialist madness online that's going on. I want you to protect your data and I want you to make sure that your stuff is encrypted because here's the truth. When you're online, everything you're doing can and is tracked and it's sold. So every move you make, everything you want to look at and buy is being sold to other companies. And who knows if we're going to get to a point in the future where this is used for something like a social credit system. They already have one in China. Plus, hackers will try to get into your information and steal your stuff. So you need protection from a virtual private network. A virtual private network means that you're going to have encrypted data and they're going to hide your IP address from spying. The best virtual private network out there, no question, is ExpressVPN. That's the one that I use for about six bucks a month. It's really inexpensive. For about six bucks a month, you'll have this virtual private network set up and ExpressVPN has great customer service and you go to their website and it all happens so quickly. Within a minute or two, you'll be protected. So just go to this web address right now to protect you, encrypt your data and make sure that the spying on you with everything you do online is severely limited. Go to expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck. When you sign up for a one-year package, you'll get three extra months free. Expressvpn.com slash buck for that great deal right now. Go check it out. BLM is poised to push for even more riots in the next week or so, depending on how the Chauvin trial shakes out. Who knows? I mean, they may riot even if Chauvin is found guilty. They may decide that that's unacceptable. Still, I I think it's likely that will be the case. But the Black Lives Matter movement has become a corporate brand. You may have seen this. There's money that's been donated to BLM, large amounts of it. This is not just a slogan people say this is increasingly an entity. This is a almost a corporation unto itself. And there are people who make really serious money from this. Oh, that's right. You, you mean that the, the Marxists, because BLM founders are avowed Marxists, you may know that. You mean that there are Marxists, there are socialists. Remember, people say, oh, I'm not a Marxist. I'm a, I'm a democratic socialist like they are in Northern Europe. No, no, no. These are people who actually claim to be straight up Marxists, who believe in a revolution throughout society based upon class warfare to create an authoritarian state where everything is shared equally among everyone else. Right. The pseudoscience, the religious fervor of Marxism on display for so many to see. Um, and yet it's in, it's insane. We know this doesn't work. We know it, it creates all kinds of problems in society, but Patrice, uh, Coulor, Coulor, 
is one of the founders of BLM. And I will I will tell you, my uh, my buddy, Mark Lamont Hill, who is a, a leftist, he's a man of the left. And, and we do a, a, a show once a week together, a video podcast once a week. If you want to see me arguing with a leftist, you can go check that out. Uh, but but first and foremost, you got to listen to the Buck Sexton show. So make sure you're all subscribed, please. Let me just take a moment here to pitch, please. If you have not, if you're listening to this on radio, great. You want to be subscribed to the podcast, you can listen on demand anytime. I never want you missing an episode. This is the best show there is on radio right now, okay? It's just, it's just obvious. And those of you who listen know that, but I'm just going to say, this is the best show that does what this does on radio right now, on podcast right now. So please subscribe to Apple, on Apple Podcasts, to The Buck Sexton Show. Don't just listen to one episode. Subscribe to The Buck Sexton Show. Um, so here we are now with this BLM founder. And, uh, and she, it turns out, bought a $1.2 or $1.3 million house in Topanga Canyon, which is right next to Malibu and is 1%, give or take, African-American in terms of who lives there. So this is one of the uh, one of the highest density or rather highest percentage uh, non-diverse neighborhoods that you could possibly find in the entire United States. And Ms. Ms. Colors uh, is sitting down with my buddy Mark Lamont Hill and talking about this. He got the exclusive interview with her. And here's what she says about how, yeah, okay. So she's obviously spent a few million dollars. Remember, she works for what's effectively a nonprofit, friends. So she she's she has this nonprofit for BLM. She's paying herself a lot of money though to run this nonprofit. Hmm. And and it's and she's a Marxist on top of that. So it's not even just that there's a clear there's clear grifting going on. There's the intellectual dishonesty of being a Marxist who lives in a million dollar house or one point two, actually owning several houses worth about three, three and a half million bucks. Do you own three and a half million dollars of real estate? I can tell you, I don't. Not even close. So this is uh, interesting. Here is, you want to talk about hubris and and just uh, a sense of entitlement. Here is her justification for why it's okay that she's a Marxist. I used to do a, a, a character on the Bucks Exit show um, Jean-Jacques, the Marxist millionaire. He was a French millionaire that always talked about Marxism. Maybe I should bring him back. It was kind of fun. We did this back in the day. I know some some of you some of you want just the political red meat, you know, in the news cycle every day. And some are like, Buck, I want more silly characters and fun things. And and that's why we got the history podcast, Shields High. I'm doing the second Siege of Malta episode. Got it. Got to get. It's great listening for this weekend, friends. And it's I remember how I mentioned you can listen to or you could subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts for the Buck Saxton Show. If you subscribe, even if you're a radio listener right now, if you subscribe to that, you then can listen to the history show, which you won't hear on radio stations right now. You're not going to hear it on a radio station. That's only a pod, that's a podcast only situation. So all my radio listeners, please, and everyone out in, in Denver, in Portland, in in Miami, in Austin, in uh, Tampa, in Fort Wayne in Baltimore. I mean, I can't. We've got 200 stations. So I'll be here a long time. But everybody that's listening to this, please, if you like history, the Siege of Malta Part 1 is really cool. It tells you all about what's going on. Then Siege of Malta 2 is going to be the actual battle, and that'll be out uh, next week is the plan. 
But we need those. We need lots of folks to download it because it takes it takes me a whole weekend to do these to to do not the research that's even more, but to set it all up. Okay, sorry. Back to uh, uh, Patrice Calors and the BLM. Here is her justification for why it's okay for her to be a Marxist who owns millions of dollars of real estate. Play seven. Also, a critique though from the left that would say. Um, if you are a trained Marxist, if we're talking about a certain kind of radical politic, that extravagant homes of any sort or multiple properties of any sort is itself contradictory to the ideology that you hold. And so it's not about having money per se, but that it's about uh, or about property per se, but it's about there being a potential contradiction between your express politics and your lived practice. Sure. And I think that is a critique that is um, wanting. And I say that because um, the, the, the way that I live my life is in direct support to black people, including my black family members, uh, first and foremost. And uh, for so many black folks who are able to invest um, in themselves and their community, they choose to invest in their family. And that's what I've chosen to do. Um, I have a child. I have a brother that has severe mental illness that I take care of. Um, I support my mother um, and I support many other family members of mine. And so I see um, uh, my money as not my own. I see it as um, my family's money as well. Oh, oh, it's it's her family's money. Now, I just want to note that this logic could be applied to a lot of things. Let's say let's say I, I robbed a bank. Now, I know that's criminal and she's not accused of criminal wrongdoing. But just to establish this, does anyone care if I say, well, I robbed a bank, but, you know, I, I'm I'm I got a wife that I'm supporting here and she's got expensive taste and, you know, she likes Gucci handbags and. And I got uh, I got a bunch of kids I got to put in private school, you know, because I can't send them to the crazy public schools in New York. Would anyone say, oh, guys, guys, come on. It's not his money. He supports his family with that money. I mean, is, is she is she serious? This is really this is a founder of the BLM movement. And she's telling you, yeah, I'm a Marxist and owning millions of dollars of properties might seem like not something a real honest Marxist would do. Then there's like my family and I'm taking care of them. So it's OK. I got news for Miss Patrice here. A lot of people have got families or people who depend on them. That doesn't then create a justification for whatever they're doing uh, economically or professionally. That doesn't mean, oh, it's OK because you got a family. Everyone's got family. You know, I mean, I, I would I would love to, you know, buy my parents a beach house. If I funneled money from a nonprofit that I was running for, let's let's say I was running a nonprofit for something near and dear to my heart, you know, for veterans. Imagine I was running a nonprofit for veterans, you know, struggling with PTSD or something. And then a story came out about me that said Buck Sexton is is uh, has bought three million dollars of property based upon money he raised for this veterans charity. Do you think it would be okay? Would anyone take me seri- seriously if I said, oh, but, you know, I mean, I got I got family, I got siblings, you know, I got to take the snow princess, you know, she got to hang out. Would anyone think that that was a justification for that? I mean, this is just, it's just weak, unserious nonsense, right? We all know this, but they're, they're frauds and they're caught, right? This is what happens with leftists all the time. 
And this BLM founder, Ms. Patrice Kalors, I mean, she's running the same scam that so many activists do. Right. Her neighborhood in Topanga Canyon, uh, there's like no crime there. You know, her one point three million dollar house. There's there's, you know, the police. Oh, there's police presence that will show up as soon as she needs them, gives them a call. It's very safe. But she's advocating for defunding the police for other people's neighborhoods and pretending that because she is black, she inherently must care more about the plight of minorities in underprivileged areas and is taking a lot of action to support them and to help them. Uh, No. In fact, the BLM movement, as I've said to you so many times, makes everything worse for everyone, including black and Latino Americans all across the country. And yet when she's caught lining her pockets, Coming a millionaire here after making everyone else's lives worse, she says, oh, but I have family to support. But I'm glad you brought up the border because I do think uh, that uh, and I I commend my colleagues as well as the president uh, for being solution oriented there. The fact is that the Trump administration made a mess because they did not share the values of any respect for any of the people there. What garbage from Nancy Pelosi. Lies. Lying Nancy. That's what you get here. The crisis at the border, which, as you know, I'm going to go see with my own eyes next week. The crisis at the border is the fault of Biden and the Democrats. We can all see it. We all know it. It is rather obvious. And Nancy is Nancy's playing games here, as she tends to do. But what else are they going to say? I mean, what what other position on this could they possibly take? Anybody who's paying attention to what's going on at all would, would immediately come to the conclusion that the Democrats are completely incompetent and, and incapable of handling the situation. Oh, and also don't have the same intent in mind as everyone else. Uh, they don't want the border to stop being a place where you can cross easily, illegally, They just don't want so many at once. They just don't want so many at once. And you have to wonder how many Democrats right now are already thinking, you know, wouldn't it just be easier if we said we're not going to enforce border laws at all? Wouldn't that be easier for them? I'm I'm telling you, I think they've probably made they've they've started to have those discussions behind closed doors, you know, claim that because of covid or some emergency, yada, 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 come up with something to just say, yeah. I mean, we're going to we're going to just take people's name and phone number and then let them in. I mean, what? Why even pretend that we're going to stop them at this point? I'm sure they're not far from that. And if they could get away with that, I assure you, they would be very they'd be very pleased to have that as their as their border policy. It's just when the American people see what the far left is really planning and trying to do. Their response to it in the midterms might be problematic. But Jen Psaki's out there uh, telling everybody, oh, they're not rethinking anything. Play 16. 
We have been uh, clear and we have continued to convey the message that our border is not open. Uh, that is a treacherous journey, and even as families are doing that, uh, a number of these kids are still in uh, taking a very dangerous journey, even for a shorter period of time or distance, I guess I should say. Uh, but uh, I don't have any, uh, in I, don't, I don't think we have any intention to rethink our approach to treating kids uh, humanely and ensuring that they are safe when they cross the border. Now, why? Why does she not want the border to be open? This is the, this is the question that I always ask for uh, uh, when it comes to Democrats on this one. They'll say these things, but then they say all these other things that seem to contradict it. You know, if it's just about giving people a safe place to go, if it's just about providing, uh, you know, an escape from violence and and oppression in Central America or whatever the case may be, why why not open the border? I mean, that's the that's the way I like to approach this with Democrats. You should if you ever want to have a, a really interesting exchange with one of your lib friends or neighbors or whatever, when they start to say, oh, look at the border. But Biden's so much more humanitarian and the border's not open. Ask them, OK, why shouldn't the border be open? You guys say that we're a nation of immigrants. You guys say the more immigrants, illegal immigrants, the better. The Democratic Party is always trying to give illegal immigrants free health care and driver's licenses and into in-state tuition and, you know, all, all the benefits of being here. They're always trying to do that. They never go in the other direction. So why not have an open border? I mean, ask a Democrat. I mean, I, I make the case all the time why we shouldn't have an open border. It effectively would mean the end of sovereignty and the dissolution of this nation. But make them explain to you their position on this one. Uh, because the logic of their thinking around illegal immigration is there's no downside. And the more illegal immigrants that come into this country, the better. That's what they really believe. But the political reality they face right now is they know they don't have 51 percent of the American electorate supporting that position. So they have to lie. You're noticing a pattern, aren't you? Whether it's Biden or it's on immigration, Democrats have to hide what they really think, I mean, the the mainstream, the center of the Democrat Party, the power structure within the DNC, they can't really tell the American people what they want because enough of the American people would still say, what the heck is going on with you wackos? That's not a good idea. So they have to play this game of speaking out of both sides of their mouths. Oh, you know, illegal immigrants are, commit less crime than native-born Americans. Illegal immigrants are harder working than Americans. Illegal immigrants add to the economy. That's the, all stuff that they say. Well, then why not have an endless number of illegal immigrants? What's the downside to illegal immigration? Democrats never have an answer because they're just hoping to keep turning up the, the temperature and the water here of this policy until the frog, so to speak, is boiling. And, and in this case, that means there'll be just so much of a of an avalanche of illegal immigration that it feels like the only answer has to be mass legalization. And with that comes the destruction of the Republican Party. So what are the crazy Democrats really willing to do and what is just posturing? I think it's very important for us to separate these things out. We've got political consultant and author Ryan Gerdusky with us now. He's got a book. They're not listening, which you should definitely check out. And uh, Ryan, always a pleasure, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bob. So in the last 24 hours, we've seen a resurgence of some of these things that 
during the Biden uh, campaign against Trump, we were told, oh, no, 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 that's not, you know, oh, he won't do that. That's not serious. They won't really do that. They're they're talking about court packing. They're talking about changing the Electoral College. They're talking about the filibuster. Ryan, from what you can see and, and from what the polling tells us, how much of this is posturing versus how much of this is something that you think they might actually try to get done? Well, I mean, look at the look at the Senate and the House right now. Democrats have a, I believe, eight seat majority in the, in the House. They have a one seat majority in the Senate. There's very little they can get done as far as a very radical agenda. That doesn't mean they can't get anything done. Um, it's just that everything they propose, even an infrastructure plan, which is broadly popular among the American public, their 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 infrastructure plan is filled with pork. Filled with special projects that uh, Democrats have wanted forever. It's partially the Green New Deal, um, and uh, and it raises corporate income tax, which Joe Manchin is opposed to, as well as most Republicans. So it's going to go nowhere. So rather than getting across the finish line in any capacity on, on minor pieces of legislation or major pieces that are broadly uh, supported and endorsed by the majority of the American public. They have. They are now just catering straight to the base. I, 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 I firmly don't believe a core packing bill is going to make it um, through the House and the Senate. I just don't think that Pelosi wants to risk uh, her and endanger her, you know, more moderate Democrats when she has such a slim majority to begin with over an issue like core packing, which is just not going to happen. So, what do you think they they uh, with, with the Green New Deal? You brought that up, which is inserted into what they're calling infrastructure. It seems to me like on that issue, because they have the cover of the term and it's been kind of funny, right? They've been saying, oh, child care is infrastructure. And and I actually I don't know if you saw this tweet. There was a, some blue check Democrat who said that court packing is infrastructure. And I thought <laughs> it was a joke, but he was serious. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, so so they'll try to get everything through because these giant bills it is whatever they say it is and people don't read them and who cares. So do, do you think there's any way that they will back off of that or are they going to get the stealth Green New Deal through by just kind of larding it in with all these other things and calling it infrastructure? No, I mean, I don't think so, because I, he, who is Joe Biden? He's very much essentially a Senate Democrat um, and he's running the White House kind of like a Senate Democrat where he's waiting for the majority to tell them what they're going to be doing. Um, he's not really taking bold action. And I don't believe that given that they have such a slim minority and given that the following election is going to be an odd year election, an off year election um, with the Democrats in the presidency, which usually does not vote well for the party in power. um, They don't really want to risk it. So making them vote on gun grabbing bills, making them vote on um, broad bills that have lots of lots of pork and lots of things that are objectively bad towards independents or, or even conservative Democrats is just a risky move that I don't think Pelosi wants to take, and especially suburbanites who, who are not going to, you know, be very supportive of a Democrat who wants to radically transform the government or just to benefit the Democratic Party. I mean, they've gotten one major bill in 100 days, and I bet you if you walk down the streets of Washington, D.C., and you ask people, or in New York, and you ask Democratic voters, what are the five key platforms aside from jobs and the coronavirus of the Biden administration, I'm sure you probably have five different answers every time. Speaking of Ryan Gerdusky, he's a political uh, political uh, consultant and author of They're Not Listening. And Ryan, 
Where is the the Republican opposition to these plans we're talking about? Whether they do them or not, they're certainly the, the left is advancing this narrative of you know Supreme Court packing and the filibuster and D.C. statehood and the Green New Deal, which we all know, or infrastructure via or, or you know, added into the Green New Deal as the cover for the Green New Deal. Uh, I feel like there's not a lot of Republicans who are really making a case not only for why this is bad, but what they want to do. Well, I mean, you have some governors. Yes, you have DeSantis, of course, as we said, and he's doing it on, on a number of different fronts. Um, and you have like the governor of South Carolina saying we're not going to house um, illegal alien minors in our in our state. Um, and you have certainly the attorney generals across the country in Texas, Arizona, Montana, for example, suing the Biden administration over their immigration policies, which is extremely important. And it really is the only way to combat uh, the Obama, the, sorry, the Biden administration on on the immigration situation. Um, as far as Congress goes, I mean, they have I mean, they're at least holding the line when it comes to not giving any leeway with the Democrats. And I was with I was in D.C. over the week and spoke to a few congressmen. And I just said to them, like, you know, for so long, uh, Paul Ryan was considered the thinking man's Republican because he proposed all these ideas on cutting Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid, which were enormously unpopular. But he had, perf- he had like large ideas about it. You should do it, but about America First issues, about infrastructure. How do you make an infrastructure plan that that not only helps you know inner cities and bridges and tunnels and roads and things that are actually infrastructure, not just like childcare, which is the Democrat plan, but uh, you know attach it to real policy platforms like wall funding as infrastructure, and also how do you help build like light rail or something into rural communities because they're declining and they're dying. And it would ease the cost of living, the burden of the cost of living in, in major urban areas. It would revitalize population in, in rural exurban areas. Things like this have to be thought through, and you have to have a real profound idea and plan. And you can't, it can't be Obamacare all over again where you say over and over and over again, no, 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 no. And then when you come into power, they ask, what's your plan? And you don't have a plan. Can't be like, you can't have that kind of situation. And Ryan, you know, we're starting to see enough pushback, I think. Uh, where on the big tech issue specifically, conservatives have realized, I mean, James O'Keefe just had his Twitter accounts gone for Project Veritas forever, most likely. This is what they do now, because they used to do this thing of they wanted people to be on edge, but they'd kind of give you your account back probably. Then they started doing permanent bans, and now they don't want to back off of permanent bans because they don't want everyone to just challenge them whenever they do this, and they figure they're in a position to just get away with it. I think... We're moving into a new phase here. I, I do believe that conservatives have realized we either build our own platforms and make them, you know, top to bottom integrated. So we control servers that can't get shut off. We can you know, the whole thing uh, or else we're just subject to, to the whims of leftist authoritarians. I mean, wh- how do you see well, the I big mean, tech fight? You can't really going? build your own platforms because you can't make your own credit card company. I mean, it's. It would be impossible to really build your own platform from start to finish. You would need literally your own credit card processing company. You would need it would it, it's an enormous, enormous task to try to do. I I was talking to a bunch of congressmen the other day and I said the biggest way to punish big tech was one by not allowing to give out H1B visas to them. And secondly, um, why don't we tax data? You know, we're, I, I'm opposed to raising corporate tax because there are a lot of good American-based companies that would really suffer. But data is what co- these tech companies make their money off of. Companies like Amazon and, and Google, 
Um, and they can do, do it from anywhere. So taxing data would be far more important than, um, than, than just trying to build our own platforms everywhere and stop giving them the, the benefits and the breaks they need. I mean, they don't pay taxes to begin with. I think using, you know, actually punishing our corporations that are working against us is far more important and profound. So how so we're going to do what exactly and tell like if, if I could have, you know, a handful of, of prominent GOP senators and members of Congress sitting down with us right now and listening to you say this, you think they should go they sh- they should raise corporate tax i mean t- talk me through the program. no no they should not raise corporate tax it would actually negatively affect a lot of good companies a lot of mid-sized and small companies that's why companies like amazon are actually for raising corporate tax because they don't pay it to begin with or they pay very minimal um because they have huge losses they don't make money off of things like selling mailing books um where they make money is in their data process yeah aws they, yeah yes that's where they get their money from that's what you should tax not just increasing the corporate tax rate. That's that's ridiculous. But where Google and where uh, where Google, where Amazon, um, and where Apple make a lot of their money is through the data harvesting and the and the data processing. Do you do you think though that there? See, my my concern with this all the time is that even when Republicans get into power, these big tech companies have so much money to throw around that the guys right now, some of the ones who are breathing fire in the GOP about how they want to do something. When it comes to the donors and the check writing, all of a sudden they're going to get real wimpy. Yeah, but they're not their donors anymore. And that's what the Republicans, I mean, there's a handful of Republicans still hope, holding out hope that they're going to turn around, they're going to change. But those are not their donors anymore. And they are too rich to care about tax cuts. Uh, they just they don't care. They care about the social, the, so, the culture war. Um, that's where the whole fight is. So, I mean, wake up, sweet Susie. It's not, this is not. This is not your dad, your your grandfather's American Airline or Johnson and Johnson or um, or you know Ford and 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 uh, you know Ford Company. Like these are not patriotic America con- American companies. These are this is a new wave of CEOs, a new wave of executives, and they don't really care about your tax cuts. Ryan Gerdusky, everybody, go check out a copy of They're Not Listening. And uh, Ryan, always appreciate your insight, my friend. Have a good weekend. You too. Well, I think first and foremost, let me say this. Um, I'm not going to get distracted by partisan hit jobs on my my team. There have never been travel restrictions in Michigan. There just haven't been. What we have done is to ask people to be smart, to get vaccinated, to mask up. That is the key to traveling with confidence that you're going to be safe and not expose yourself or your loved ones to COVID or your community to COVID. So what directors do on their personal time is their business, um, so long as they are safe, which is what we're asking everyone in the state to do. Get vaccinated. Mask up. If we all want the freedom to do these things that we're longing to do, that is the key to doing it with confidence that we're going to be safe and we're not going to expose anyone else to COVID. Oh, gosh, yeah, get vaccinated. Oh, yeah, Whitmer. Governor Halfwit. Oh, yeah, oh, gosh. Sure, don't you know. Yeah, she wants you to make sure you're vaccinated. That'll protect you real good. Sure it will. Oh, my. You know what she's referring to here? You know what the story is? not getting a lot of attention, but it's yet another example. We, we almost get tired. I mean, this is something that on the right you have to guard against. We get tired of pointing out the hypocrisy of the left because there's so much that after a while you feel like you're just overwhelmed with it and you feel like it's it's expected of course the left is a bunch of hypocrites of course the left 
can't be trusted to live by the rules that they want to enforce and inflict on everyone else. Right. So that's that's where we are, friends. That's what's actually going on here. And I I think we all need to be very clear about that, that they they will just continue to lie about this stuff, you know, and and they'll continue to not care when they get caught. Anyway, here's this is from the Detroit Free Press. The head of the Michigan Health Department recently traveled to Alabama without being fully vaccinated as the state grappled with the worst COVID-19 trends in the nation. That means that Department of Health and Human Services Director Elizabeth Hurdle did not follow the guidance of the department she directs. But Gretchen Whitmer defended Hurdle's actions on Wednesday, saying it's not her business what top aides do off uh, on their off time. Uh, yeah, that's not the point, Governor Halfwit. Oh, gosh, I'm not going to get distracted by parties and hit jobs on my team. Oh, gosh, there haven't been. Rest- yeah. So they tell you all these things, all these rules you're supposed to live by. And then they don't live by the rules. So this is yet yet another example of it. I know we see so much. We see so many times this exact thing happening and they they just don't care. They just don't care. It does not matter to them when they're caught. But it matters to me. Matters to me. Ugh. It's just so it's so frustrating and annoying, isn't it? Speaking of frustrating and annoying, I I watched another stand up special. So I I know what the guy's name is. Nate Bargatze is actually how you say his name. He's a Nashville guy from Nashville, Tennessee, and he's funny. And he's and and it's like nice comedy in the sense that it's just jokes you can laugh at. It's not actually somebody who's being, you know, hyper political and it's just. Anybody can laugh at the guy's jokes. It's sort of absurdity of life commentary stuff he's doing. It's it's just good stuff. I, I was pretty impressed. It's, he's He's got a nice delivery and he's relaxed. And I feel like so many comedians yell and curse all the time as if that makes them funnier. They're always blah, 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 and then they curse. And, oh, such a dearth, really such a such a a clear uh, shortage of good comedy these days. Here's uh, an example of it. Seth Myers. I mean, this guy's just been propped up by the machine. This guy is just, you know, he was he was crappy at SNL. He's crappy on late night TV. He's just not funny. And he he's a smarmy jerk. But the right people in the system like him. And so he gets pushed ahead. Here he is. Play 23. So sometimes Republicans pretend to be anti-corporations and they oppose raising taxes on corporations. Sometimes they pretend to be anti-war, then they oppose ending wars. What all of this shows is that the Republican Party has no actual ideological principles, no core beliefs other than racism, paranoia, and feigned cultural outrage against anything they perceive as even a mild infringement on their right to do whatever the hell they want. For example, even as COVID cases climb back up and public health officials worry about one last surge before summer, they're still spreading dangerous misinformation about lockdowns, social distancing, and masks. Like what, you jerk? What's the misinformation? Who's spreading that misinformation? Do you want to, you want to try to explain uh, why Texas is doing just great and Michigan is a disaster? But, oh, Governor Halfwit says they've got great restrictions in Michigan. Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, of course. No principles. I mean, for somebody who's a Democrat to say that, it's just hilarious, isn't it? Yes, because Democrats stand by their principles like 
opposing opposing war only when it's a Republican in office. We know they do that all the time. And what he's saying about Biden and the ending of the war, that's not even true. Most of the Republican electorate is like, yeah, we got to end the Afghanistan war because we do have principles. So just what frustrates me more than anything else is this guy's not he's not well informed. He's not very bright. And yet he is given this platform, given the, you know, this this fat paycheck that he gets to be a smarmy jerk. And there's so many of them on the left. They just control this stuff. Look, if you, if you don't seek out conservative news and information sources, it's impossible to be well informed. And, and I mean that now you can be a liberal and be well informed. But if you don't actually know what the conservative argument is and what conservative media is saying, you're not well informed. So it is it is true that you have to actually see what's being said in conservative media because the echo chamber effect among the leftists, among the libs is so powerful. It's so profound that they they never actually find out what other people are saying about other things. So you cannot be a well informed person. This is this is one of my buck maxims now. You cannot be a well-informed person about current events in America today unless you actively seek out conservative voices to complete the picture and get to the truth. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. It's time for Roll Call. Yeah, rock and roll in. So, Producer Mark, before we get on the roll call, I want to tell you the Snow Princess is at a bachelorette party in California this weekend. So, while the Snow Princess is away, the Buckster will play. You know what I got going on? I got I got uh, Uber Eats and Seamless uh, on my phone. I got Netflix, baby. I got a clean pair of sweatpants and a sweatshirt that I'm going to throw on. It's going to get wild in here. It's going to get wild. I'm a crazy I'm a crazy partier. What can I tell you? I thought you were going to say you're going to a bachelor party for a second, but I guess not. No, no, I'm going to tell you something. I've actually and this is where people say, do you not have any friends? No, I just don't have friends who throw bachelor parties. I've never been to a bachelor party. Have you ever ever been in a wedding party? Obviously, your brothers are married. No, they're not married. Oh, I thought they were. My mistake. No, no, my brothers okay. are not married. My one, one, my one brother is getting married this summer. We're very excited about that. His fiance is wonderful, so that's that's great. But no, I I don't have. Um, so I, I've never been to a bachelor is party. Is he going to have a bachelor party? Because my best friends from growing up in New York. Uh, yeah, we're talking about it right now. I mean, but if we do a bachelor party, it's going to be this. It's going to be a bunch of bros, you know, going to like a. Uh, uh, a tactical shooting camp for the weekend and like eating steaks. I mean, that's our version of it. Sure. So, um, no, that really is what we're going to do. I mean, we've already, we're already talking about it, but, uh, you know, I, I've, I've thought about this. My closest friends from growing up in New York, uh, a handful of guys that were my, uh, high school best buddies, you know, grammar school, high school, not married. Um, my closest friends, my roommates in college, not married. They actually live in Australia now, too. Um, and, you know, I, I by the t- my CIA friends, most of them were married before they even got to the CIA. So that didn't really that you know, I missed that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a lot of close male friends who are married. A lot of my close male friends are, are single. So you, producer Mark, you bring me tales of married life, you know? Yeah. 
I mean, I've only been to one in my life, and it was my own, because I'm the first of my friends to get married. So I'm sure as you know, the years go on, I'll go to more. Right, but I mean, you know, you just had like prom last year, and you know, you got college coming up, and you just finished high school, so yeah. you know, you get a lot, a lot of life left to live. You know what I mean? That, that sounds lovely to just reset the last ten years. That'd be great. Yeah, actually, it'd be fun, wouldn't uh. it? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I'm, I'm coming up on. I'm gonna be forty in December, which that age to me sounds like, oh my gosh, forty, thirties. You hit, and you go, yeah, yeah, that's fine. You know, you hit your forties. And I think all of a sudden, um, you know, you go, whoa, whoa, you know? I'm glad uh, your brother's getting married so you can go to one bachelor party before you're 40. It's great. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my, my brother's going to get married, so that's good. But anyway, so yeah, the Snow Princess, she's going to be with all the girls. They're going to get their nails done. They're going to be, you know, out, you know, dancing and like by the pool and, you know, bachelorette party stuff, which I've never been to one of those either. So my impression. Oh, actually, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was invited to a bachelorette party. It was my little sister had a bachelorette party. But you know what her bachelorette party was? She had a um, a person come over with a whole slew of of micro pigs they're actual pigs mark that are like i mean they're like 10 pounds they're tiny like a teacup pig yeah like teacup pigs yeah. with all with like eight teacup pigs and just let them run around my parents apartment and like hang out and invited her best girlfriends over and she's like you can come too because we're just gonna drink tea and play with little pigs <laughs> So I went, I've been to a bachelorette party, but not a bachelor party. That's where I am right now. I know my man card is in serious dispute right yeah. now, but hey, you know, what, what can I tell you? You're definitely losing a couple man cards there. No, I know. But the, the teacup pigs, I'm going to tell you, they're adorable. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. adorable. And it really, it really uh, made me, made me kind of, I was like, oh, gosh, I, I can't get so attached to these little tiny pigs because bacon is my favorite, well, all meats. All right, I got to ask you. And this is one I put out there for the audience, too. If you could only have red meat for steaks and burgers or only have pork for bacon, pork chops, etc., which one do you go for? Ooh, that is tough. I'm going to go pork because I think it's more versatile. I, I, I mean, yeah. oh, man. You can make more things with pork than you can with beef. I can't. I can't even. I can't even make this. I mean, I, I. I don't like to wimp out on decisions like this, but I can't even make the choice because the idea of never having another ribeye makes me want to cry. But then the idea of never having another strip of bacon or a pork chop or, or you know, any or, or pulled pork. Oh my gosh! I don't know what is life even worth living at that point. I, and I would say that people ask me about COVID. In some ways, the hardest part of COVID. For me, when I had it, was the back pain was really bad, but the about 48 hours where I lost all taste and smell, that was a psychologically difficult thing because you go, wait a second. I mean, Mark, like I told you this before, but imagine you're like, oh, I'm going to have my favorite chili and you you bite into it and all, you're, all you can say to yourself is this is mush. Yeah, that sounds I awful. can't taste anything. Well, at least you, Crazy. Could eat, you could eat really healthy for those couple of days because you're not going to taste it anyway. I told I told my family that I said if this stayed because I know some people have uh, they have a linger that lingering symptom. I said um, if this stays, I'm going to just I'm going to like 
I'm going to eat the way that my friends who are fitness competitors and people I know who do that. I've got a few friends who actually compete, male and female, in those uh, like bodybuilding competitions. And they're always like, it's so easy. Just eat exactly, you know, 6.2 ounces of grilled chicken, eat it six times a day and have, you know, uh, greens with like no sauce or anything and basically no carbs except maybe maybe a handful of quinoa and you know they I love it they're like it's so easy I look at them like so easy where do I when do I get to eat a pizza <laughs> and like and eat chocolate chip cookies where's that in your so easy list you know anytime I've gone on like a crazy restrictive diet like that where I try to only eat healthy I'm miserable within days oh yeah so I need to find I think everyone needs to find like a good balance you eat healthy most of the time but like Say on the weekend you can have a slice of pizza and it's not going to kill you. You know, I, I've I've been fortunate in life in that I'm I'm not a heavy drinker and I I've never done and I've really never I've tried marijuana but I've never done any other drugs and I was never a, a regular and I gave it up in college because I wanted to go in the CIA after nine eleven and so it was uh, and I tell everybody that by the way it's a great any any kid for all you parents out there if your kids are going to be around other kids in college and. Uh, and, the, you know, they're going to be around people that are smoking weed or even doing other. And just to say it in other colleges, uh, you know, a lot of colleges, there's a lot of there's cocaine. There's even more serious drugs or, or if someone ever wants to give them a pill, because even prescription, even prescription drugs not prescribed for you are a violation for your purposes of a security clearance. A great way. And I really mean this for all the parents listening. A great way to arm your kids to shut that stuff down is to say, uh, guys, I'm I'm actually going to be, you know, I'm I'm preparing to get to, to apply the FBI, the CIA, as soon as I graduate, and they they go back. This is true. They go back seven years on into your into your. So if you're if you got a you know if you got a, somebody who's 18, 19 years old, basically their entire adult history drug use could be could be used for you know FBI purposes. And that's a, like it's really tough to make fun of somebody when they're you know because there's peer pressure. Really tough to make fun of a of a of a 19 year old who's like, I'm sorry, I, I'm I can't smoke the weed you're putting in front of me because I want to go into uh, special operations and need to get a TS clearance. You know, it's it's really like I'm not saying people won't ever make fun of that, but it's a really easy way. It worked for me, and it was true. I mean, I did go into the CIA and got a TS clearance. But I, there were people, I saw people doing all kinds of drugs throughout college, you know, at frat parties and things, whatever. And anytime somebody tried to say, ah, oh, no, guys, I'm, I got I to gotta worry about my clearance. It's a really cool, I'm just telling you, it worked really well. I, I, gotta, I got my clearance to think about, I'm sorry. And then people are actually like, oh, wow, this person's kind of cool and, you know, secure. So it's just a trick I learned. And I, I put it out there for you. If any of you got kids who are going to be in college next year or they're in college now, great way to, to shut it down. Oh, but I was thinking about this because, um, by the way, some of them say it enough. They'll probably be like, maybe I should apply to the intel community or to the, you know, and get into the military to, and get a TS clearance. Um, because I don't have addictions except caffeine and sugar. And, you know, Mark, that's the thing. You, you, you don't, we don't think of those as addictions, but I definitely have a psychological addiction to sugar and caffeine. I mean, I, I first thing I, I literally wake up in the morning, put my, you know, get dressed and start drinking coffee every day. <laughs> That's what I do. Yeah. I'm not as bad as on caffeine as you are, but sugar, chocolate, that's my weakness. Darker? Sure. Are you a dark or a milk guy? Milk. Not you that I the snow princess. dark chocolate, but She has brainwashed me. I used to be a dark guy and she said that dark chocolate is is like for libs 
and which she was just kidding. But, you know, she was joking around with me once and she's like, but don't you think that that milk chocolate tastes better? And she's like, don't listen to all that propaganda about how dark chocolate is so much healthier for you. You're eating chocolate. Eat the chocolate you want. I got to say, she's kind of right. Yeah. I've kind of started eating more milk chocolate now. I'm not eating uh, chocolate for its health properties. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. You can be like, oh, like chocolate and red wine. Yeah, sure. Anyway, all right, all right. Let's let's get into roll call. I got a little delayed here. We'll get to it. Brandon, hey, big league buck. Since the concept of municipal policing is being phased out as a good idea, do you see the proliferation of Blackwater type military contractors being used domestically, not necessarily for citizens protection, but for corporate purposes? An Apple army, a Google garrison? Twitter troopers to protect their assets from the common peasants, emerging competition, or even against uppity government entities trying to regulate them. Hey, Brendan, very creative uh, question. Um, no, I, I don't see, I don't think we're going to get to a point in this country. And to be clear, they do have it in South Africa. I mean, people in South Africa, because the crime rate there is so high, violent crime is so bad in places like Johannesburg that there are private security companies that people hire out for their own purposes just to basically protect them. And they're, you know, ex, they're basically mercenaries. So, yeah, um, that's that's how it goes. That does exist in some places. I don't think we're heading to that here, but I would note that we're going to continue to have that they're going to be safe neighborhoods and dangerous neighborhoods. You know, they're going to be places uh, that are more affected by the rise in crime and places that seem like they're just fine, you know, e- even though there's. Stuff going on. You know what I mean? So that's that's what I see happening, Brendan. I don't think we're going to get to the point where there's a Google Special Operations Command, although I don't know. World is getting pretty crazy these days. Catherine writes in Shields High from Soviet Oregon. I initially tried to get you removed from one one nine zero KEX because you were taking two hours from another host. But I've totally been won over. And now I listen to you on podcast. Love your show. Catherine, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry that initially you weren't uh, you weren't enamored with the idea of Team Buck, but look, this, this show for what I do, I think I do the best radio show on air right now. So I'm not shy about that. You have to if you're going to do the amount of radio that I do, you have to be a believer in what you're doing. Uh, so I I'm not shy about that. I think that people if they listen if people listen to this show and they listen to other shows, I mean, you look at breadth of knowledge, scope of topics. The way that we work humor into things, the relaxed but informative tone. I, I think that this show is uh, is as good or better than any other radio show out there. I'll, I'll say that much right now. Uh, and I think pretty much better. But now that uh, Rush, rest in peace, has, has moved on to a better place, um, I think there isn't a better radio show right now. So I'm just going to say that. Uh, TJ, Buck, in regards to Afghanistan and getting our troops out, I'm with you. I think we should have as little presence in the Middle East as possible. Personally, I'm not sure if date setting is our best approach for troop withdrawal, though. I was hoping maybe you could break down the pros and cons of such a hard withdrawal versus those more flexible or soft withdrawal approach. Furthermore, is it possible that we could take an approach of effectively having no troops present in the Middle East, Afghanistan or otherwise, still be able to conduct small unit military strikes against them, special operations missions? Be nice if we never had to touch the Middle East again, but something tells me we'll be back whether we maintain a troop presence or not. I guess I'd just like to know the best approach for the least amount of continuous presence over there. TJ, let me come back to this question in just a second. All right, more roll call here. Getting back to TJ's question about small troop presence and uh, and establishing withdrawal date in advance. Let me let me say this. Um, I will tell you that 
it is for me. Uh, I think what they see here is a a political issue as much as anything else. So you establish what the withdrawal will be because you need the political will to order out the troops from a pure tactical perspective. Yeah. Telling the enemy when you're going and where, you know, that that I can see how that puts you at a disadvantage. But you've got to actually be in a place. You've got to be in a position to get everybody out if you're going to do it. And so to keep that momentum going. Otherwise, you've got the Fauciite consensus of constant delay with masks, for example, but for the military. We're going to get out. We're going to get out. Just two more weeks. Just two more weeks. Just two more weeks. So if you don't draw a line in the sand, so to speak, you are probably never going to leave. Um, and as for, um, yeah, as for, what else do we have here? Uh, oh, Sean. Buck, thank you for the Siege of Malta. I listened to it today as I was on duty guarding a facility you forgot to begin the story with gather around friends for I have a story to tell. I love that intro. I wish you'd do more of these history podcasts. I'm re-listening to all of them again. Thank you very much, Shields High. Sean, thank you so much, man. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you, you thought it was a you thought it was a good show and we got more coming. And yeah, we got rid of Gather Around Friends for I Have a Story to Tell at the top of the show. I, I could bring that back. I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool, but you know, some people some people like, you know, a little more casual storytelling. Some people like a little more theatrical, and I'm I'm always responding to the desires of this audience, you know. So when people write in and say I like things or do more of this, um, I go for it. Um, you know, I, I try to I try to implement that. That's why your feedback, roll call, is so important. Roll call makes this show a better show and makes all my content better. Jason, Mr. Sexton, the Beatles were a gift from God. Uh oh, sometimes roll call goes awry. Never miss the show. It's been the finest nationally syndicated radio show on the air. I find your analysis extremely insightful, your articulate delivery enviable, your voice is hysterically funny, and I wish you continued success. Well, Jason, that is a very kind note, and I honestly and truly do deeply appreciate it, and it's a great way to send us off for our weekend. Team, remember, please text a friend when you're talking about politics or just sharing stuff. If you're sharing memes, take a pause from the meme sharing and go on the uh, on Spotify or the iHeart app or on Apple Podcasts, The Buck Sexton Show. Text them the link. Say, hey, check out The Buck Sexton Show. That's it for today. Back on Monday, Shields High.